The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, Our Constitution, Our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Hey everybody, I am so happy to be back and appreciate your patience and understanding with the lengthy delay in getting this uh, episode out. As many of you may have read or seen on our website or via social media, my wife, uh, my son, and I suffered uh, quite serious accidents here on our ranch. And uh, not to bore you with all the details, but um, I was thrown from my four-wheeler and uh, banged up uh, exceptionally uh, good. I was black and blue and purple for weeks. Uh, no broken bones. Um, my son burned his hand on the tractor. Um, after he saw that happen, he jumped off and... Uh, Unbeknownst to him, he, he grabbed the nearest thing to help him with the jump, and that happened to be the exhaust. And more uh, significantly was my wife got kicked in the eye by uh, our llama, and that um, actually was pretty brutal. It uh, burst her eyeball. We had to have emergency eye surgery. Uh, we're all good. Her vision is back. Um, that is in part why... The lengthy delay so again i appreciate um, your patience with this and, and and it's a good time to remind you that my goal with this podcast is to really provide an, an understanding of how our country was formed and of course talk about the people and events and the battles and i'd like like to talk about a lot of things that that aren't like mainstream or uh, people that you may not have heard of. So uh, we're also going to be doing uh, periodically little mini bios uh, on some key figures as well as non-key figures. And all of those were uh, critical at some point and in some way for the revolution. So you're going to get a, a wide range of, of information. I'd love to have uh, two episodes a month going forward. Uh, and with the lengthy delay that we've had in getting this out, I'm eager to get as many as I can over the next few months. So who knows? Maybe I'll have uh, more than two a month, but that's the goal I'm shooting for. And with every person battle or, or little known fact that I come across in my reading and studying, it seems like another rabbit hole is opened. And it's such, uh, it's such a joy to investigate and learn about it and to know what I'm getting is accurate and uh, not just legend. Of course, those are fun too. Uh, but getting those firsthand accounts based on the writing or diary or journals, um, it's a thrill for me to have you here, which which tells me that you are, you're also interested in uh, more than just the basics about the American Revolution. So uh, I, again, I'm just glad that you're here. Um, for those of you uh, just tuning in for the first time, uh, personally, I read and learn anything and everything I can uh, about the revolution. My fifth great-grandfather, uh, whose name was Peter Kern, and his two brothers fought in the war, and they uh, lived in uh, the state of Pennsylvania. He owned a mill, and a city was named after him, and they called that Kernsville. And my wife and I, a couple years ago, went back and visited his grave and his mill, and uh, Kind of cool information is in my research of him 
and uh, all that he was involved with, uh, Benjamin Franklin visited and purchased supplies from him, uh, and that was in an, uh, a newspaper out of Pennsylvania. So uh, all of that information will be available in our show notes. I'm also a member of the Sons of the American Revolution. I have a tattoo of George Washington's signature on my arm, and we even own a lock of George Washington's hair. I'm just simply um, passionate, intrigued, and fascinated by everything surrounding the war. want my countless and countless hours spent researching and digging, digging in and uncovering secrets or, or things that haven't been you know, really discussed yet. Uh, I want to share all those with you, so thanks for tuning in. I'm beginning my historical fiction. It's going to be my third book called Brothers in Arms, and it's about uh, my fifth great-grandfather, Peter, and his two brothers. I'll have a little more information on that in the show notes. Uh, Lastly, before we get into our episode, I want to share a, a couple changes that I've made, and I think you're going to really like it and hopefully find it beneficial. Each episode is now going to be linked on our website under our podcast page. And within that, starting on this show, uh, we will have show notes. And what those show notes are going to include are links, primary resources, photos, uh, any video or documentary or any information that is related to what I discuss is going to be listed all in a neat, tidy place for you. You can still see a summary of each show on the platform that you actually use where you get your podcast, but I really recommend that you visit our website uh, for all this new information, and I think it really adds a tremendous amount of value to you. Uh, listening to the show, and then you can you know couple that with the show notes, I feel will bring it more alive and, uh, and more engaging, and would love your feedback uh, on this recent change. So uh, let me know. My email and everything is uh, available to you on our website. And our website address, you can get there a couple different ways, but uh, patriotpowerpodcast.com or ilovegeorgewashington.com. So in our last episode, we did cover quite a bit of the French and Indian War, uh, the key battles and the players involved during and pretty much up to its conclusion. And there have been entire books and volumes and series have been written about that particular war. So clearly we just scratched the surface, but I think you will have a a good understanding of it from our last podcast, our last show. And me personally, I really find uh, the French and Indian War, also known as the Seven Years' War, I find it very interesting because there's so many amazing things that took place. And knowing what the key players were going to be like in the future, it's very interesting to see how they acted um, back then and And we can clearly see some decisions that people made and events that they were involved in and how it shaped who they would become in the future. So it's kind of nice to have that luxury of uh, seeing them before and already knowing the after story of it. Um, So we learned quite a bit. We learned the character and bravery of George Washington, uh, especially at the Battle of Fort Duquesne, or they call it Braddock's Defeat, uh, as that's widely known which was pretty much a slaughter of the British Army, uh, and that was by the hands of the French and the Indians. It was during this battle, however, that George Washington's bravery and leadership were blatantly obvious. I mean, this guy is is amazing. Uh, He's 
21, early 20s, and he jumped off his horse. A couple horses had been shot out from under him, but he got off his third horse, pulled a Braddock, General Braddock, to safety, although he ended up dying. And then he took the realm, the helm of uh, of the battle and did the best he could. So it was a crazy, amazing scene for him. Horrible battle uh, for the British. But we also learned how badly he wanted to be an officer in Britain's army and how that never happened, which was sad for him, but great for us. I'm not sure where he would have fit in or even been on our side um, during the revolution. So um, we can learn a lot and, and garner great nuggets of information from that war. And with that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about how that all came about. So the governor of Virginia needed somebody. Uh, his name was Governor Dinwiddie. Uh, he needed somebody that would be uh, willing and brave enough to travel uh, a very treacherous dangerous and um, highly unlikely that you're going to come back from this trip uh, and he needed somebody to do it and um, George Washington uh, 21 he stepped up uh, and said you know I'm your guy I'll do it and I don't think anybody really thought he was ever going to come back let alone accomplish this because what he was supposed to be doing was delivering a message uh, to the French to to leave to leave at once and greatest thing about this whole journey is that George Washington was as many of the other uh, founding fathers and historians even at the time they kept a really good track of things and his whole account uh, of his actions in the Ohio Valley uh, were written down and this journey was published in 1754 and it made him a celebrity, uh, not only in Virginia, but the entire uh, 13 colonies and even in Britain. So George Washington's name became uh, synonymous with um, military and bravery, even though he didn't hold uh, a position within Britain's army. Uh, he became very famous because of that journey. And it's a short read of 78 pages, and I recommend that you take a look at it. Uh, it does provide some pretty good insight into the mind of him uh, being 21. And, you know, we always picture George Washington, old guy like on the dollar bill. Uh, but he was very ambitious, and he was very brave. But with that came a lot of inexperience. Um, the one thing I think uh, George Washington uh, had... Uh, that other founders did not uh, was the fact that he rarely repeated the, the same mistake twice. He took every failure, analyzed it, and ensured that should he be put in a similar situation, that he would choose differently, act differently, uh, or make decisions to ensure that it doesn't happen again. And I, I think that's a, um, an attribute of his personality that we, we all could, we, we could all benefit from. Um, he would listen to others and seek everybody, all the top generals, and, and he would take their advice. And then based on, a, on all of that, he would formulate an answer. And 
he didn't do it just for lip service and so he looked you know hey uh, everybody tell me what you think and i'm going to make a decision on my own anyway i mean he really valued their opinions and he listened to it so even back then uh, he did that and it just it was it was cool to see that um during that journey he almost lost his life twice and he really should have died he fell off uh, a raft one time and then uh, his guide his indian guide was about 20 feet away from him um, while they were walking through uh, the mountains you know this indian turned around and shot at him uh, missed him thank goodness um, but he could have lost his life very easily uh, on that journey I'm glad it didn't. Um, but what I've done is put the uh, entire journal on our website under our show notes. Um, and it's in PDF form, so you should be able to, to pull it up on your on your iPad or iPhone or smartphone or whatever you use. So um, again, Patriot Power Podcast or ilovegeorgewashington.com. You can find that. And we also learned that the French and Indian War was officially over in February of 1763 with the signing of the Treaty of Paris. Uh, a lot of people have asked me, well, isn't the Treaty of Paris the end of the War of, of the American Revolution? And yes, that is true. It seems to be like there's 12 Treaty of Parises. Um, everything was called the Treaty of Paris, it seems like. Not everything, but yes, there was more than one Treaty of Paris. And this one that took place in 1763 ended the French and uh, Indian War, even though there was a couple other batteries or a couple other battles um, after that. Um, but with this victory, uh, Britain spent more time and more money to get the French out of North America. They won, right? So they're gonna they're gonna kick them out. Well, that takes a lot of resources. It takes manpower. It takes money. And all of that just increased um, Britain's national debt, which was completely uh, off the chart and skyrocketing. And I mean, keep in mind that, that Britain was at war in many, many places around the world at the same time uh, as the American Revolution and at the same time uh, as the French and Indian War. So um, this was just one area of the world uh, that they were battling in. And trying to, of course, increase their empire. The terms of the Treaty of Paris, they were pretty harsh uh, to the loser, that being France. And all French territory on the mainland of North America was lost. That was huge. That was a big deal. Um, the, the British received Quebec and the Ohio Valley. Uh, the Port of New Orleans and the Louisiana territory west of the Mississippi uh, those uh, territories went to Spain uh, because they were um, they had given their efforts um, to Britain during the French and Indian War as an ally. So they got those areas. But the territory gained by winning the war, although it provided a tremendous amount of land, it also gave them access to really important trade routes. But in addition to all of those positives, there was some negatives. Uh, in October of that same year, 1763, King George III, he banned colonists from settling west of the Appalachian Mountains. And this was accomplished with the Royal Proclamation of 1763. 
I read the text of the proclamation and and I put it and a photo of the document uh, on our website under this uh, show note of this podcast. Uh, uh, side note, there's only nine copies of this proclamation left in existence, at least that we know about. So they, they fought hard. Uh, they fought a, a long war and they did it to, to get the French out and to get more land. But after they won, the British tried to keep Americans from settling in it for all this new land. And it was already hard for, for Britain to govern the colonies from overseas from 3,000 miles away. But the I think the British believed that if Americans moved, or the colonists moved west over the mountains, it would be too challenging uh, to regulate trade and taxes. And that, of course, would cut into their resources. And uh, they couldn't go after them because the resources were already spread too thin. Um, and a lot of people didn't really care if it was a rule or a proclamation. They were already there or they just went to the Ohio Valley on their own. The British could not afford to get into another war. So anybody that had left into that area, the Ohio Valley, um, they just left them alone. Native Americans who had actually helped the French during the war they were still fighting over land, even though the war was over. You know, there was a, a one large battle called uh, Pontiac's Rebellion. And that went on um, after there was a ceasefire. And that rebellion lasted a year. The Native Americans were, were fighting with the British because all these people were coming west. And the Indians were already there. And they felt encroached upon and that their land was being taken from them. Well, they felt that way because that's exactly what happened. Uh, so I can see their point uh, too. 450 soldiers and 2,000 civilians were killed and 1,400 civilians were displaced. Estimates show about 200 warriors, um, Native Americans died. And I think this is about the closest numbers that anybody can get come to an agreement. Um, they didn't keep astounding detailed records, but I think this is pretty close based on the the three sources that I looked at. But a lot of people died, and this was after a ceasefire. This was after the war was over. So, so this royal proclamation, uh, it was very unpopular with the colonists. And for those living in the colonies, it creating a boundary was not helpful because it didn't address some of the biggest problems with the war colonists had had shed blood to to fight the french off and to fight the indians and many of them said you know what i i put my life on the line and i have a right to go settle on the land that we won also the royal proclamation did not account for any colonists who had already settled in the west so it was it was kind of a cluster as you can see and and, and imagine where those tensions would come from the colonial governments were already kind of starting to uh, plan uh, an expansion into the territory. Uh, in fact, that had become a very large political issue among the colonists. Now, uh, you know, they're 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 getting some steam ahead. They're they're talking about it. They're formulating a plan. They're getting people to uh, engage and 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 give in. And and all this came to a screeching halt when the proclamation came and said, "Nope, nobody can go west." And this ticked off the colonists they all felt that it was a plot to keep them under more 
more control or keep them under England's thumb. If they allowed anyone to travel west, well, they couldn't keep their eye on them. Or, more importantly, they couldn't tax them or keep track of the tax. And uh, as a result of all this, the colonists rebelled against this law, just like they did with uh, previous laws. And they took scores of wagons westward toward the Ohio Valley. They believed that if they acted together, it would be virtually impossible for the British to enforce the new law, which was exactly what happened. The, the fight between the colonists and the British over the proclamation was a, was a hot topic. Um, and the colonists felt like the law really didn't uh, think about their needs. Um, it didn't respect their need for growth or what they wanted to do as individuals. So they just ignored it and, and they headed off west. And you'll see that this type of thing becomes a common type of mistake that the British make. A small act or a proclamation does not always work out as intended. But what they all did do was it infuriated the colonists. And for the first time, different colonies were working together. And these, all of these acts, which should just be called taxes, uh, are, par, are part of a long list of reasons, which eventually I think leads, leads up to, you know, the, the actual war for independence back then you know like i'm sure many of my listeners would say oh i've been to texas i've been to oregon i've been to new york i've been x y and z all over well back then very few people traveled from colony to colony uh one they they really considered their their state or their colony as their own country so they would often say my country of virginia my country of connecticut my country of rhode island and so they were very okay they were connected by land but they were very isolated and separated on purpose by themselves because they didn't venture outside of their country or state and uh and so when when these colonies started to work together um, against these proclamations, it, it, it's a big deal. So uh, you can kind of see, wait a minute now, if we all kind of jump jump in together and fight the same cause, collectively we can maybe accomplish more. Well, as you know, that's eventually uh, what happens uh, come the American Revolution. On April 5th, the, uh, the year after the proclamation, since that wasn't working, Britain decided to enact the Sugar Act. Uh, it's a very short and unassuming name, but it was, in fact, a tax and included many, many, many items, not just sugar. Um, the Sugar Act, which is also known as the American Revenues Act, it was the first direct taxation that was enforced by the Crown. Its purpose was to raise capital, get money through the Colonial Customs Service, and to give custom agents more power and latitude uh, with respect to, to seizures and enfor uh, enforcing customs law. And because this came from an external body rather than a legislature of, of colonial founding, it really alarmed the leaders in Boston specifically who felt that this act violated their British privileges. And their principal complaint was against taxation without representation, which became the rallying cry uh, for the Sugar Act. Uh, just as important, though, 
the act's profound implications for the colonial judicial system. I mean, this act allowed British officers to try colonists who violated any of these new duties in the court in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So if you were charged with not paying the tax or breaking the law in regards to this, you would have to go to trial in Canada or Nova Scotia, right? Um, It would not be you would you would be a defendant. You would have to pay your way. You'd have to trade. You know, pay for the travel and expense, and then you would be not in front of a trial by a jury of your peers. It would be people that were completely strangers. It freed up the custom officers from really any responsibility, so they couldn't be sued for damages in colonial court. It, it was not a good idea, um, and as you can imagine, this added more fuel to the fire. So they're like, come on. I mean, what's going on? Well, because it was such a big deal, it just sat there and brewed and it just made people upset. Um, And as each day and as each year went by, I think tempers grew and people started thinking quite a bit different, uh, differently about their home country, that being Britain. But when the Stamp Act came out, that's where the true seeds of rebellion were planted in the hearts and minds of, I think, the majority of people. Uh, We'll get into the Stamp Act soon. I mentioned earlier that the Sugar Act, you know, it included sugar, of course, but they just kind of threw in, you know, wines, coffee, Um, calico, export of lumber, iron, molasses. I mean, it was basically a tax to generate money for Britain to generate some income spent during the French and Indian War. So uh, the guy's name that was in Parliament that came up with the Sugar Act, his name was Grenville, and he thought it would just be uh, a way to have the colonists pay back some of the debt that they incurred for for coming over and protecting them, right? They they fought the war alongside uh, many of the colonists, but he didn't think it was that big a deal. And really, uh, if you look at the big picture, the tax was not very much at all. So it wasn't the amount that upset people. It was the fact that they are forcing a new tax without any representation, and nobody had a right to agree or disagree with it. So that was the big issue that I think Grenville and Parliament kind of lost sight of. To them, it was just uh, another task that they were talking on their long docket at a meeting, and it wasn't a big deal. Well, it was a big deal to people living here. So what if a colonist broke the law, refused to pay the tax, or what have you? What, what would happen? Well, all disputes would be heard in British vice admiral courts. In other words, naval officers are going to be the one that's going to judge smuggling or tax evasion accusations, not the local people, not the local juries, not a jury of your peers. And they had had the jurisdiction over such cases since the last century, but now it was easy and commonplace to remove the hearing uh, to a local colonial court. Therefore, merchants always did this, and with the help of popular and persuasive lawyers like James Otis, they almost always won their cases in front of sympathetic juries. Now, this new law would force trials to go to Canada. And can you imagine being charged with something, and then you have to go 
a very long ways away by ship uh, and you had to pay for that expense you had to pay for the trial and then you weren't even gonna be in front of your peers I think you can see how this would uh, not go over very well with with the colonists so they 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 do the sugar act they do uh, the currency act they have ensured that nobody can travel west so boom 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 i mean we're talking small to britain but huge big deals to the colonies this was just getting started i mean it was crazy uh, the sugar act and the currency act it was like no big deal to them uh, but what did some of the leaders have to say about the sugar act back then so I mentioned James Otis. Uh, he was an assemblyman from Boston in 1764, and he, he was a very important figure. He said, The passage of the Sugar Act set people a-thinking in six months more than they had done in their whole lives before. And then Edward Montague said, Mr. Grenville strongly urged not only the power but the right of Parliament to tax the colonies and hoped in God's name that none would dare dispute their sovereignty. Thomas Hutchinson, who eventually became a tax collector in Virginia, uh, he said, you must not deprive the colonies of their right to make laws for themselves. Parliament should only make laws necessary for the empire as a whole. And my favorite quote, uh, as you might imagine, I'm a little bit biased. This came from George Washington in 1765, and he said, the Stamp Act imposed on the colonies by the Parliament of Great Britain is an ill-judged measure. Parliament has no right to put its hands into our pockets without our consent. And that's really how everybody felt. So this is setting us up to, yeah, guess what? There's even more acts that they come, they come up with. So our next show is going to be exploring those additional acts that they uh, put into place on the colonies, including the Stamp Act, the Quartering Act, and many others. And all of these acts you'll find, including the, the ones I mentioned here, it seems to resemble dominoes. Um, when each tile or act fell, the colonies became more angry. They, they also became more resolved. And probably most importantly, they started working together and getting organized uh, as a whole as opposed to individual colonies so and after we cover those acts we're going to be delving into dun, da, 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 are you ready the first battles of the war lexington and concord and uh i have a few things that we'll be talking about that that i'm guessing you may not have heard about them maybe you have um, but they're they're less talked about so i'll share that insight with you and uh it's pretty it's pretty exciting stuff so uh again please visit our website at patriotpowerpodcast.com or i love georgewashington.com for all the show notes photos and links and if you have a minute share it with others that you know who who love the american revolution as much as we do also, if you, if you are enjoying this podcast, we hope that you can spare a minute and, and give it a rating and, and leave a positive review. Uh, this does really a couple things. One, it, it helps get the word out to the right people who are interested in what we cover. And secondly, 
it uh, it increases the listenership, which just propel it to get out there and make it more accessible to everybody. So uh, we talked about a tremendous amount of things. There's some things that you can uh, dive in deep or read the actual uh, Sugar Act or the proclamation um, that King George III. All of this is located in our show notes under our podcast page. Until next time, be safe, be happy, and tell a veteran thanks for their service to the best country in the world.